Okay, um, if you could turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. All right. I'm going to go ahead and read through this for a second. I solemnly exhort you, this is Paul talking to Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and will turn aside to myths. So, from what we see here, the importance that is being pushed upon here is to preach the Word, to correct and love, to to call out false teachings, and to lift up in the Spirit with long-suffering. And we are to do this when? We are to do this in and out of season. What does that mean? That means to do it all the time. There is no season. It's always the season. Because if we don't, just like we were talking about right now with the children, if we don't, there's going to come a time when they're going to flee to their own wants that the world teaches them. This doesn't just apply to children. This applies to everyone though. And if you don't think that we have examples of this, all you have to do is look around today and you will see them everywhere. We have them from all the issues that we see, whether it be the breakdown of the family unit, whether it be people lauding sinful behaviors, be that drunkenness or gay marriage or trans, all this stuff. And there's a long list. We could go for days on that. But these are what happens when... We turn to the world for our morals instead of going to God. And so this is why Timothy is being told that he must preach the Word. Because we have to sow the truths of God so that when a person of any age goes out into the world, they're going to be able to discern these false teachers, whether they be teachers that claim to be in the church or out of it. Uh, I can remember when I was when I was younger. I was about seventeen, and I've, some of the congregates here already know a little bit of this. But I had a I had a friend pass away at uh, seventeen as well. We were the same age, and 
I wasn't raised in the faith, and it didn't take long for the atheist teachers that I did know to pull me farther away from where I should be, because there wasn't anything sown before that, and it made life very hard. But God wants us to seek Him in spirit and what? And in truth. He wants us to seek Him in truth. And if He wants us to seek Him in truth, that means that falseness exists. You can't have truth without something being false. But, as believers, as the body of Christ, we cannot lead people to the truth. We can't proclaim it and we cannot live it. We can't plant any seeds. If we are weak, if we are lukewarm, if we are ignorant of the Word, or if we are lame in our walk. So since, since I first came here, um, I think it was in right around when COVID was hitting, or I tried to come here when COVID was hitting. I think the church was shut down for a little bit. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but anyways, eventually we did we did make it here, and we just felt this urging like we needed to be here. Uh, early on, me and my wife talked a lot, and we considered whether or not we should just kind of keep shopping around, see see what we're looking for, but. God kept just, just urging that for some reason we needed to stay. And I don't profess to actually hear words from God, like, but He puts things upon you, and you know what He's saying to you, even if it's not in verbal form. <clears throat> so earlier this year, I kind of felt like God really opened my eyes to what that was. This town, this church, all the other churches, this town needs revival. It needs it bad. But God is working in Hemingford. Uh, God is working in the congregational church because we have seen God moving. You know, revival, if you go and just look it up in the, in the dictionary, you're going to see something of an improvement of the condition of something, a strengthening. That's going to be your dictionary definition of revival. But, like usual, the world's definitions lack in substance. They just do. The biblical definition of revival is an awakening or a quickening of God's people. An awakening or quickening of God's people to their true nature and to their purpose. We have a true nature and we have a purpose. We don't want the world's revival. We don't just want to be strengthened. We want to be awakened. We don't want to just do what the world wants us to do. Because God does have that purpose for us. And it's for God that we will do it for His glory and not our own. You know what quickened means? Does anybody know? It's, uh, it's an older word. You probably usually only see it in the King James. So it means to revive 
or to make alive. Okay? That's not, that's not uh, irony there because it's not a coincidence because if you think about it, Scripture is all about being revived or made alive. We're born, we're created, right? And then, should we turn to God, we are born again. So we are made alive in the Spirit. And then when we leave this earth, that is not the end either. We continue on. We are revived. We are resurrected. But revive sounds an awful lot like revival, doesn't it? It's pretty close to it. So God is waking the sleeping, I believe, in this town. Okay? God is calling us to action, and He's renewing faith. And we need this, all need this individually, as well as corporately, as, as well as together. When a true revival occurs in a believer's life, you're going to see some things. You're going to see renewed repentance and growth and righteousness. You're going to see that godly walk get back on track. You're going to see humility come back into a person. An awareness of sin. A love for God and a passion for what? A passion for the Word. You know that book that we hardly ever pick up. A passion for the Word. You're going to see a deepening of faith, basically. And in revival, you're going to see the chains of rituals take, shaken off of you so that you can embrace Christ. And not just go through the motions. Anybody ever gone through the motions just at the dinner table? Hey, I'm hungry. We've got to eat real quick. Oh, Lord, you know, and start just throwing out that prayer real quick so we can dive in versus saying it in a way that is meaningful and thankful. That's revival. <clears throat> we turn to uh, Revelation 3. Just for a second here. Revelation 3, verse 11. I get a volunteer to read that. It's just the one line there. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Thank you. So we are to hold on to what we have. What do we have? We have faith. We are to hold on to that faith. We have that repentance that comes with that faith. We are to hold on to these things. We're to hold on to that fruit of the Spirit that comes from those. And we are to hold on to the living Word. We're to hold on to prayer. We're to hold on to evangelism to the lost. And to supporting and raising up our brothers and sisters. And we are to not forsake the gathering of the saints. So I used to live in a, in a much larger city um, from Phoenix originally. And I've, you know, I was thinking about this last night. A place like that is so big, you have a revival in a small church, something like that. 
you know, the people there are going to see the differences, but the city as a whole may or may not notice it because it's so large. I mean, three or four million people live there. But what does that look like in a town like Hemingford? If we have, what, 800, 900 people here? Not including probably people living in the outskirts? <clears throat> what does it look like if we had a town where our neighbors and our friends and our relatives, our coworkers, people in the faith that they start living their true faith, they start showing their fruit, and they start putting God first? What does that look like? What does that look like when we're spreading the good news to the lost? And those people could be our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, our coworkers. That would be quite a sight to see in Hemingford. That will be, will be quite a sight to see in Hemingford. There's a sign out uh, on the highway. I think it's getting revamped right now, right? It says, uh, does it say Jesus rules Hemingford, I believe? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over Hemingford, I think. So, God wants us to prove that. A town like that could get through anything. Imagine a disaster strikes and you have everybody as a brother and sister in Christ. But the church is not exempt from this. All these churches are not exempt from this. Because churches can go cold. Churches can grow complacent. They can get ritualistic. And they can go through the motions just like you can at your dinner table at home. But I think God has been moving through the congregational church. I feel like we've seen changes. And we've been praying for the uplifting and Spirit-led movement that I think is starting to occur. Now like I said, I'm not from here. I don't have any family here other than my immediate family. <clears throat> but this church has openly accepted us as family here and, and we have been very grateful since then. I didn't grow up in the faith like I had said. I didn't know what a church body is like to be in one. But, do you ever think about in Matthew 12? Um, I'm going to read this real quick. 47 through 48 and 50 where he says, Someone said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. <clears throat> but Jesus replied to the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother, sister, and mother. When you become part of a church body as, as we have now, it becomes easier to understand this verse when you see the bond that a church body can have. You don't have to be of blood to be brother and sister. <clears throat> now granted, I only take that so far because I'm not calling my wife my sister. But we will... Embrace everyone else here. So, I think that the spirit of revival is here in this church, in this town, and that we need it badly. 
We have to stay that course and God will move. So recently, uh, I, was, I was asked some, some very good questions. Got kind of caught off guard, actually, to be honest. <clears throat> and they were concerning, you know, what, what do we stand for? Who are we? What do we teach? What is the direction of this church? And these are good questions. And ever since then, they've been on my heart to, to make a statement about them. So we're going to try to address those today so that people know where congregational stands. <clears throat> so, though we are congregational in name, uh, we are not part of the congregational um, organization. We are an independent church. We are non-denominational. Uh, I am not ordained. Well, I am not. Uh, I have not been through seminary, though I am ordained through the National Association of Christian Ministers. Um, take that for what it's worth. <clears throat> so, but I do live in the. I believe I live in the Spirit. I live in the Word. And in prayer, and I don't, I don't know. I know there are people that have been through seminary that perhaps don't. So I think it kind of goes both ways. You can have bad from either camp. So I have seen. I've been a Christian for I want to say about seven or eight years now, and I've seen God work in my in my life. I've seen Him work in my family. I've seen healings that I didn't think could happen. Um, in my own family with my children. Um, I very much so used to forsake the gathering of the saints. And it wasn't until becoming a part of one that I can see the detriment to that. But God has called, called me here and I'll continue walking until He leads me somewhere else. And I guess Ellie approves. <laughs> so what of the church though? Uh, what can be expected of it in a revival, in this revival, and going forward? What of those in the, in the positions of responsibility here? Of their teachings, of the beliefs? So we're going to go through that a little bit. Because there are some things. You are not going to find a name it and claim it prosperity gospel here. It's not going to exist here. It's not going to find a teaching where you're to rely on yourself instead of Jesus Christ. It's anti-biblical to say the least. There's not going to be a ritual here for being saved. I know that there are plenty of people who are saved who have come through with the sinner's prayer. I'm not saying that you can't. But what I am saying is that salvation is found in faith and repentance. And it is found in belief, not just that Jesus Christ is God, but belief in Him. Because even the demons believed. That is how people are saved. And that is what will be taught. <clears throat> so how do we deliver these kind of messages? How do we put that into a verbiage? You can't get any clearer than John 3.16. You just can't. Because for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that everyone who believes in Him 
will not perish, but have eternal life. You can't get any clearer than that. That is the message that the church will put forth. That is the message of salvation. This uh, will teach that part of salvation is being born again. You cannot be saved without being born again. You can't read John 3 and not pull that out of there. There's a transformation that occurs upon true belief. And if you've ever seen somebody who is truly born again, you will see who they were and who they are now, and they are two different people. I can guarantee you that I was a different person before becoming saved. You might not have liked me too much. This church will speak of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. It's not going to be the only thing we talk about, but it is a regular thing because how can you have the Gospel? How can you have the good news without sin? That's what the Gospel is saving you from. How can you not have righteousness? That is what you are gaining upon belief in Jesus Christ. And that is what you are walking in in sanctification until you leave this earth. And how can you not talk of judgment Because without judgment, there is no need for the Gospel. So these are kind of things that we'll be talking about. Will there be theology in our sermons? How can you have a sermon without theology? How can you talk about Jesus Christ without theology? What what does that mean? Theology is just the study of God. Every time we dig into Scripture, we're studying God. We can't live on milk forever. We can talk about the Gospel, and I will love to talk about the Gospel with you, but there are deeper things than just talking about the Gospel all day long. And it's our responsibility to delve into it, because to know God is life eternal. And on that note, pew Bibles are great. I like the pew Bibles. But please, if you don't have a Bible, get a Bible. If you, need, if you need one, come and talk to me and I'll get you one. But Sundays cannot be the only time that you open up your Bible. That is not acceptable for a Christian. Now granted, nobody's going to police you. That's up to you. That's between you and God. But that's not a good standard to set. So if you need help getting a Bible, let me know. Um, I will do my best <clears throat> to delve more into a verse-by-verse of Scripture, maybe a little bit less on the topical, so that God can teach us a little more. But this should be complementing what you're doing at home. Let's be honest there, okay? This church, as we grow, will be developing evangelism programs. We have to. It's vital for a church to do something like that. And I'll tell you why. Because if you don't have that love and that wish for other people to be saved, if that doesn't exist in you, then you probably aren't either. Okay? Every Christian should want others to be saved. And we have to do something about that. This isn't just a Sunday social hour. I mean, it's great to come and talk with everybody. That's fantastic. 
But this is a gathering of the saved or people God is working on, and it is a refreshing of them for the work of the kingdom the rest of the week. That's what church is for. So as revival continues in this town, in this church, obviously things for a church changes as they get bigger. And we will give to this community. We have to invest in this community. We have to bless this community in the name of God and for God because of what God has done for us. This church will stand on certain facts. One specifically that the Bible is the holy inspired Word of God, that it's free from error, and that it's full of wisdom for salvation and sanctification. If we didn't believe that, there's no reason to be in it at all. It'd be a waste of your time and my time. This is a creationist church from the, from the pulpit. I can't make anybody believe anything, but Jesus endorsed the six-day creation, and so do I. <clears throat> we will teach on the literal, not the figurative, the literal existence of hell, of the lake of fire, of eternal punishment. Like the other things that we talked about, it's not going to be the only thing that we speak of. But if they don't exist, then why talk about the gospel? There's no reason to. We do the Lord's Supper here at this church. We do this in the memory of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. The Lord's Supper will not cleanse you of any sin that Jesus Christ's blood has already done. And in doing the communion, we promote an examination of oneself before God. It's between you and God when you do the communion. Just like it's between you and God when you go about your daily life, when you pray. It's between you and God. That's how our communion is done. And we will teach that a person... Some people don't like this, but we will teach that a person who is in willful... Rebellion against God. Think of these words in their full term, okay? Willful rebellion against God. A person that is in a persistent, unrepentant lifestyle of sin. That they are not in the state for inheriting eternal life. Because God says you're either with Him or you're against Him. That is the fact of the Gospel. Now all those who are or will be in a teaching or authority role in the church, they, got, they have, to, have to hold to biblical essentials. What are those essentials? Belief in our Trinitarian God, that three intellects and one spirit, three faculties and one spirit, however you want to put that out there. That salvation by grace alone by faith alone, the deity of Christ, His sinless life, His substitutionary death on the cross, and His resurrection, and the sanctity of life. 
On those kind of foundations, I don't see how a church can err. <clears throat> and those will be kind of things that it is promoted at the very least from the pulpit as long as I'm around. Um, whether there's two people in the pews or 50, it's the same no matter what. So I want to thank those who have held this church together all these years. This is an old church. It's been around a long time. Uh, first in Fox Butte County, I believe. And I'd like to thank those who have decided to call at home and those who are investigating where God is directing you. Either way, it's an honor to be a part of it. Now, I know that today this is not really a sermon so much as a statement. Um, but does anybody have any questions or comments? And hopefully I'm prepared to answer them if you do.